your source for Big Ten Talk. It's Off Tackle Empire. Welcome back to the Off Tackle Empire podcast. This is uh, Steve Braun and Andrew Krzyzewski once again here to give you the latest reports from the battlefield as we continue into Big Ten conference play as we're finding out who's going to be, well, what's going on below Ohio State and Wisconsin. How'd my weekend go? Uh, I got a sunburn in October, so that'll tell you how the game that I went to and, you know, turned out for me. You got a sunburn after waiting through a, a monsoon. Yeah, yeah. Um, Those are the best sunburns. Midwestern weather remains absolute bullshit, so let, let's just get into this. Um, Ooh, I'm going to bust out my Winflat Tribe Brewster of the Week, which is some leftover of Andrew's famous apple pie, the drank. I can't believe I left any over. I probably should have just started chugging it out of the bottle, but <laughs> I didn't get enough of it in the stadium with me, so... Oh man, it's... Uh, it's it's warmer than the confines of Spartan Stadium were for Mark D'Antonio, I'll tell you that much. And uh, well, it's okay, a lot I mean, spicier than his play calling. Yeah, I don't know if the heat comparison necessarily makes any sense, because regardless of how they go this year, there's not going to be any pressure on him to change or do anything. There's an athletic director who's been on the job for less than six months. you think Bill Beekman is going to have anything to say to Mark D'Antonio about the performance of his staff? No, get out of here with that. We're stuck with this. Unless and until Mark Antonio decides to retire. Can't wait. Well, clearly you can tell where we're going to start with our recapping. Uh, Northwestern, the second the calendar turned away from September, I suddenly we, felt empowered. I knew we were fucked as soon as we didn't get him in September. Uh, <laughs> Wake me up when September ends. In, uh, in a way, maybe I should have seen this result coming because MSU has really not played a good game yet this season. Part of that is within the coaching staff's control and that they just haven't adjusted their offensive scheme in particular for what their players are good at. There's been a ton of injuries as well. And then the players that are out there, which again, you've got a lot of backups and such, but they just aren't making the plays when the play call is a good one. I mean, the first two trips into the red zone in this game, MSU has to settle for field goals because on one third down, excellent play call, excellent protection, excellent throw, receiver drops the ball. Next third down, not as good of a play call, but still, a play is there to be made. Little running back flare. The running back runs his route so badly that when he catches it, all he can do is fall the hell down. So, I don't know how you blame that on Dave Warner necessarily, but then there's plenty of other spots. You know, it's late in the game. They need to drive to get at least a field goal. They're on their own 10-yard line. It's second and one, and they do back-to-back -back shotgun dropbacks when they've not gotten decent protection all day and all they need is a yard. I mean, if there's any situation that calls for being stubborn and trying to just go straight ahead and get one yard, isn't that it? And then it's fourth down and one. Now you do line up in a formation that says you're going to run, and lo and behold, you don't get it. So the game's over at that point. I actually didn't disagree with that decision, though. I know there was a lot of chatter about, oh, is this really a decision to go for it from your own 10? Yeah, because if you don't, you punt it back to Northwestern and you hadn't stopped them since the second quarter when Northwestern wisely abandoned the run. <laughs> so what happened here was that you had two teams coming into this that had not had any success running the ball but were very good at passing it. And what happened was that one team figured out who they really were and the other team refused to see what was staring back at them in the mirror. Kind of, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> you're right that Northwestern made the coaching adjustment they needed to because it 
the first quarter or so of this game was two teams, both of them throwing rock in a rock, paper, scissors game. And then Northwestern thought to themselves, huh, if we keep throwing rock, nothing's going to happen. Why don't we call paper? Oh, look, they're continuing to throw rock. And that was the story. To which game. I'm sure D'Antonio said, cowards. We need to establish rock. We need to establish the run by continuing to throw it. Again, I have to get, I don't know how much blame is necessarily appropriate for the MSU coaching staff here because they, to their credit, it's not like they tried to bash it up the middle running power 25 times in this game. Instead, they're doing all these goofy little swing passes that don't work, that were telegraphed repeatedly. Um, and we discovered now there are wide receivers can't run block either. So if I had to guess before the garbage time attempted comeback drive, there was probably two passes of longer than 25 yards down the field. And one of those was sort of a broken play where the rookie just heaved it to try to draw a PI call. So, yeah, the one thing that is working this game in this offense is the vertical passing element, and they don't do that. Again, Felton Davis is the best player on the field from either team by a mile, and outside of maybe two drives, they don't make any concerted effort to target him. So, yeah, it's fair to say that there's been a lot of injuries and that the players just aren't doing things as well as they should, but if you're the coaches, you're the ones who are in charge here. In college, we're still going to hold you accountable for shortcomings, and this offensive season has been a mess. Now, yeah, granted... You expect some come down from what they could have been because of the amount of injuries they've had. But the next guy up has to be ready to go, and they just haven't been. <laughs> An incident may be developing. A standoff is happening where uh, two dogs are determined to establish the run. And uh, one of them just wisely backed down, realizing that that was not the uh, best way to approach the game plan. So, look, you, you can't... Yeah, if it's Gerald Dog, I guess you win this round. You're trying to establish the run on, you know, on laminate floors, and it's just not going to work. you got to adjust for the conditions that you're playing in. So, you know, that From a Northwestern said, perspective, though, you, you got to think that they, uh, they might lean into this game plan a bit and just look to pass first, and it's going to be... Uh, going to be shaky because they were able to consistently complete passes, but it was always boom or bust. They, it was either, you know, some slicing and dicing or, like, big plays down the field or turning it over. They st- Yeah, they did still have a few turnovers. Um, there's about a seven, there's a 70-something yard touchdown pass in there on a bomb on a busted coverage that is going to skew those stats a little bit better than they really were over the course of the game. But as I've mentioned before... We always want to say, oh, well, if you take off that one big play, then their passing game wasn't that good. Well, did the big play not count? Like, it did, so... But I think it's just an indicator of the volatility of this passing attack because you, they can they can take advantage of a mistake like that, but they can just as easily create the mistake uh, <laughs> themselves. Well, sure, that's what this traditional aversion to passing the ball in this conference has always been about, is, oh, two or three, three things can happen on a pass play, and two of them are bad. Well... It's not 1975 anymore, so that whole mindset needs to go out the window. Um, I wish that the MSU coaching staff would have been flexible enough to adjust their approach and account for what was working and what wasn't, but they didn't, so they lost. It's probably not going to be the last time. (laughs) Although, if there's any silver lining to that, it's that that won't be the reason they lose these next two games. That's just going to be because they're playing way better teams. Uh, Their next opponent is not Michigan, right? Nope, at Penn State first. Ooh, yikes! So, we're going to get to Michigan, though. Uh, Michigan doubled up Maryland here, and um, it was was weird. Michigan kind of took a while to get into a rhythm and really establish themselves, but they did pull away. A little bit of a pattern for Michigan is the slow start, um, especially on offense. They didn't, to their credit, the defense was better this time. They didn't put the offense in as big of a hole. 
Um, now, the Maryland offense maybe not in a position to take as much advantage of a defense that maybe doesn't ex- you know play all that well out of the gate. Um, they did lose Michael Dwum for a defensive tackle with what looked like a fairly serious injury, and their defensive line depth has been a little spotty anyway. Rashawn Gary's been dealing with an injury. Um, now, with Chase Winovich playing like you know a Bednarik winner, it may not matter, and they are getting decent production from some backups who haven't played before, but not a whole lot of depth there, and going forward, obviously, it's one thing to stop Maryland's running attack when there's no passing threat attached to it. Wisconsin's going to be a little bit of a different animal. Um, and then there's the other thing that we saw in this game on a few occasions is that this, I think, was maybe the case where I thought more than any other that maybe they did make the right decision getting Shea Harrison after all. Given what we've seen of Dylan McCaffrey, I kind of thought that long-term they'd made a mistake because I think McCaffrey is could end up fitting Harbaugh's offense like a glove. McCaffrey is exactly what Jim Harbaugh wants in a quarterback. He he really is the prototypical guy to run this offense, but that That's, only works yeah. if the offensive line is doing a great job in pass protection, and if they are not, which they aren't this year, Patterson's going to be the better option. Yeah, and so knowing that your pass protection isn't there, but that the rest of your team is ready to win now if you can figure something out in the passing game, obviously going to get this um, sort of hole patcher, if you will. I think that ends up being the right choice. I wasn't really sold on it until now. I guess my opinion doesn't isn't worth the air it's spoken with, but you know, I, I don't think there's as much question anymore that it was the right call to get a guy who can evade pressure and make plays on the run like Patterson did. Well, you know, if you look at this from an on-paper standpoint alone, Notre Dame is almost certainly going to be in the first college football playoff standings whenever those are released. Yeah. Um, so, that being said, that makes Michigan not eliminated from playoff consideration yet. Nothing mm-hmm. has actually happened to eliminate them. That loss to Notre Dame will be forgiven if that's the only one. Well, yeah, it was at the right time of the year. It's to the right opponent because they'll end up being good enough. Now, of course, there's a couple games left on the schedule before the playoff rankings come out that Michigan's going to have to clear. As I mentioned earlier, not nearly so concerned for Michigan in that Michigan State game as we might have been earlier. Uh, but next week against Wisconsin is going to be an, an interesting matchup. Yeah, uh, it's... What do you, yeah, well, yeah, before I suppose we should mention, what do you see from Maryland in this result? I mean, what Maryland are, is a random number generator. I thought their offensive line would be a much bigger factor in this game and keeping it close. I thought they'd be able to sustain offensive drives. They struggled to run the ball, which had been something that they'd been leaning on offensively, and it just didn't work. Uh, nothing they did on offense worked sustainably for you know, big stretches of the game. Yeah, relatively low number of possessions for Maryland and relatively few plays called. In fact, they, despite falling behind from, I, mean, I think, the entire second half, um, they only attempted 13 passes through the whole game. Uh, you know what your strength is, and it's running the ball with all these various sweeps, motions, your deep group of running backs. Well, but... when you can't, I, mean, I said this about Illinois, when you can't run the ball, then you've got a problem if you can't then beat them over the top. They don't really have anything any backup plan if they can't run the ball because they're not really that good at passing. Yeah. So even when someone's sold out to stop the run, they can't take advantage. Maybe we were making this into more of a game that if, I mean, I thought Maryland would cover, but only because it was a 17 point spread and Michigan, you know, has started slow at times. I thought Maryland was better than a couple of the teams Michigan's roughed up and a 21 point margin is, is only beating the spread by a handful, but still... I thought they would keep it closer than they did. I Again, still, we're halfway into the season now, and I still don't know what we're getting out of Maryland from well, week to week. Michigan's very much the gatekeeper in that 
you're not a great team unless you beat them. My goodness, is Michigan Neo-Northwestern? I suppose you can make the argument that we're in a new era. Yeah, why not? So, yeah, I mean, but still, I mean, until they play the games, right now Michigan can't be eliminated. We'll see what they have against a real heavyweight next week and see if that that game should tell us a lot about whether or not they've got any chance of standing up to Ohio State and Penn State. Speaking of Ohio State, this game against Indiana, kind of just the, you know, going through the motions reboot of a script we've already seen just been played out and done to death, right? I mean, you have, you have Indiana hanging tough well, I mean, I was going to say well in the third quarter, that's not exactly right. It was into the second quarter where they're hanging tough to even have a lead. This was the same game that these two teams played last year. Yeah. Except, it, was it two years ago then that Indiana took him into the fourth quarter? Where it's, I mean, on the one hand, if you're Indiana, is this not a better situation to be in than, you know, 10 years ago when you're just getting blown out by 70 regularly and the game's over three possessions in? You can't be encouraged by this. I mean, you want to see more. You can't be burn it down angry, but you got to be disappointed because... You know, being able to hang on to make this game actually questionable would be a sign that you're ready to step up to, like, let's make bowl games every year. But you still got a lot of wins to go to make that, you know, make it a convincing argument that you're solidly in that tier yet. And Well, well I use, what, 3-2 and two now, I believe? Um, yeah. Four, they could, no, 4-2. Four 4-2. and, two, four and two, cause Yeah, they, they could they win, the two win two more games. Yeah. They could win two more games. In fact, I expect them to win a couple. They still have Maryland. They still have Purdue. Let's take a look at the rest of their schedule. But point being that, yeah, you can't really take anything away from this game if you're an Indiana fan. You know this is an imperfect team. Their ceiling might just not be as high as some of those peak Kevin Wilson teams, which is discouraging. Well, and what did those Kevin Wilson teams ever peak out at? Seven wins in a season? But No, it, I mean, was, it at... was six wins in a season, yeah. but... They took Ohio State and Michigan to overtime. But looking at the rest of the schedule here, they do have Iowa at home. They've got a road trip to Minnesota. That's a winnable game. Home home game with Maryland. Home game with Purdue. I mean, they're not gonna they're not gonna beat Penn State even at home. They're probably not gonna go to Michigan and win late in the season. But is it really asking too much for them to win two more of those four winnable games? I wouldn't say so. And you could probably even get a third. This is probably gonna be what life is like for them unless and until there's a substantial upgrade in the capacity and the ceiling of this program because until that happens most seasons you're not beating Ohio State you're not beating Penn State you're not beating Michigan I don't know if I would put Michigan State in that same group because I'm having serious doubts about the long-term you know sustainability of MSU as a program in the same tier as those other three but for the time being you haven't been able to consistently beat MSU either so with those four games kind of out of the picture yeah, getting the six wins regularly is going to be difficult. you got to at least put a couple of those in play. I mean, it's a, it, that's not unique to Indiana either. That's going to be the same story for Maryland. Rutgers is in such a different place right now that that's they're, they're really not going to be discussing that just yet. We'll get to them in a minute. They're Indiana's, I mean, Indiana's just seems like they've been on the precipice, but, you know, ultimately those wins have to come from somewhere, and there's been such solid programs there in the East that they play every year that they're not... And this is yet another sign that they're just, they just aren't closing the gap. Really, we didn't learn anything from this game other than that what we thought about these two programs before it is exactly valid. And yeah, of course we're talking about this game from the Indiana perspective. You can hear about Ohio State literally anywhere. If you want analysis of this game from the Ohio State side, there are millions of places where you can hear that discussed. 
I mean, what do you say about this game if you're Ohio State? Are you, are you pissed off that Indiana made you sweat in the second quarter, made you keep your starters in in the second half? Like, on the one hand, sure, you want you might think that your team is so much better that that shouldn't be necessary, but... But then it's kind of like, are, how many, are you expecting as a fan for most of Ohio State's games to be, like, so meaningless that you're mad about them having to actually play, you know, the starters for... An entire half. If that's the case, then what are you doing? Why don't you just yeah. tune out? You you already had the Penn State game. Why don't you just tune out until Michigan comes to town? I believe that game's in uh, Columbus this year. But either way, just tune out until that game and then pay back attention. Because you're you're not if you expect your team to be so perfect that they shouldn't be challenged, then why are you even watching the rest of these games? Like, what enjoyment do you really get out of that? It's like, I don't know, it's like beating up a little kid in, in pickup basketball or something when you're three feet taller than them, and then being mad if they throw the ball over you and make a basket once or twice. It's like, yeah, like what fun are you really getting out of this? So, uh, no, I guess from the Ohio State perspective, the one thing you could remark upon is that Dwayne Haskins is really playing in such an incredible level. I don't think he's going to be there beyond this year. He seems pretty, I mean, to the equivalent of a college football one and done, right? And he didn't play his first two years, and now... He's clearly an NFL there's, prospect. Yeah, there's definitely there's NFL like NFL people are writing things about him. The, the there's going to be enough smoke at the end of the year that Shirley Haskins is going to see that fire. And you know, there's almost certainly going to be people that are going to replace him and uh, not be a huge drop off. No, that's I mean, just the kind of the only other scholarship guys they have there's Tate Martell who lost the battle for him for this job, and then they have Dewan Mathis coming in as a freshman who probably isn't going to play immediately. But um, if you're if you're Haskins and you're looking ahead to next year, how much better can you really get? His stat line from this game: thirty three for forty four, four hundred fifty five yards, six touchdowns. I think I saw some stat indicating he's got three games with at least five passing touchdowns, which I think ties him for most in Big Ten history or something like that. And he's been playing. For half of a season. Yeah, this is, his, what, is so, this his fifth or sixth game? Uh, well, Ohio played, State hasn't had a They've got the right? six games this year. He played most of the Michigan game last year, but I don't think he played. <laughs> so, he looked kind of shitty against uh, Illinois in the second half of last year's game. Oh, I, I guess I'll take your word for it. I don't oh, know. Oh, no. that um, Yeah, that was the one where I was talking about where Buckeye fans were all skeptical about him because as the, as the rain continued to fall... And their second string was against our starters are still out there, and <laughs> and then I think I think he he whiffed on a throw and got like strip sacked and we took it to the house and then everyone was like, oh well I don't know why this guy should ever start a game, <laughs> <He's> <laughs> complaining about something that you know cut your lead to thirty one. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I don't know. Again, if if you're if you're Haskins, I don't know what you stay for next year because again you're not going to have a better season than this at least not substantially. Um, I think a lot of their receivers are upperclassmen too. So even though they've got plenty of talent behind them, yada yada, you still expect some turnover in, in that group and some chemistry issues. So rather than play through that, risk seeing your stock diminish because you're not on the same page with those guys to the same extent, why wouldn't you go? I mean, I, my rough understanding of the draft class coming out this year is that there's going to be clear one and two with Justin Herbert, Drew Locke as the two best quarterbacks. But then after that, it's kind of like, eh, well, who else? I mean, um, Haskins is going to climb that list, by the way. He's got the physical measurables. I mean, we've, we've seen Clayton Thorson mentioned as a first-round draft pick, and that was before he rebounded from his knee injury. So, you know, is Trace McSorley really going to be a better pro prospect than Haskins? Absolutely not. No, because he's short. That's what, I mean, he's and he's not Baker Mayfield for So, yeah, I mean, Haskins, 
to the NFL seems more likely than not. If you're an Ohio State fan, then you absolutely cannot be mad at the guy for considering it because, especially as an Ohio State fan, um, you're getting guys that have their eye on the NFL. Um, most schools aren't getting most of their roster with an eye on the NFL. Um, so this happened. This is just a but this is going to happen yeah. as an Ohio State fan. I mean, look, I had to quietly accept when like Regis Ben and Mikel Ashore left, and it was like we don't have a guy to replace a guy like that. Ohio State does. So shut up and let the kid make his money. Yeah. Um, I mean, Sam Bradford came back for his senior season at Oklahoma and sustained an AC joint sprain that has that has nagged him throughout his career since then. And he's had recurring problems with that shoulder, and that was all because he came back. Yeah. So year. what? And this feels like maybe this has just been become our party platform at this point. But whenever issues like this come up, uh, no, our our position has pretty consistently been f that, get yours. Yeah. Get <laughs> paid. Yeah. So moving on, then uh, we had the battle for Floyd of Rosedale, which in the past was more competitive. Iowa prevailing here with really a kind of an effortless offensive day. Some Minnesota people describe this as, and I quote, a close blowout. I don't, I mean, in one sense, I get what they mean. The part this of is the game. classical, this is the classical definition of a boat race. This is exactly what we mean when we say boat race, which is to say that one team gets out to a lead and then it's like, it's fairly even from there, but that lead is never really challenged. So no. it's like, it's, I guess if you're a Minnesota fan and you want to take heart out of the fact that... <laughs> if you're a Minnesota fan, then uh, you went in with oars, but you got boat raced anyway. You just can't resist with the nautical. Of course. Of course not, because everything is a branding opportunity. Hashtag row the boat. Got him so much. Um, so yeah, it. the main story in this matchup to me was that Iowa's front just forced enough mistakes from Minnesota's offense that they weren't able to keep up, and then Minnesota's defense just doesn't have the personnel to deal with. A team like Iowa, um, anyway, I say a team like Iowa, it's not like we're talking about an especially dynamic offense here, but there's enough, I mean, you have to account for multiple tight ends who are receiving threats. They have a diverse group of running backs, albeit ones who didn't do a whole lot in this game. Um, really, there were only a couple of big mistakes by Nate Stanley that even made this game competitive at all. So, and, oh, and then the other thing you have to account for is the fact that Iowa is starting two freshman cornerbacks because of injuries. Now, granted, those guys picked off three picks between them, but looking at the rest of the game, a lot of those downfield plays are made because you've got a couple of true freshmen trying to lock down Tyler Johnson. Well, but of course, they're playing against a quarterback in Zach Anikstead, who's a true freshman, um, and so not necessarily going to be a guy that's going to beat, you know, make the right throw every single time. Uh, the other thing, of course, is that even though Flex Seal can fix, you know, a boat that's been sawn in half, it cannot stop the leaks in the defense here. Flex Seal is not strong enough to fix the holes in that defense. No, and <laughs> what I kind of, the thought that I had watching this game was a good coach, a new coach, and I thought this in the Wisconsin-Nebraska game as well, a good new coach, especially one that specializes on offense, can change that side of the ball pretty quickly and pretty easily because offensively, if you have the right scheme and you call plays creatively and your system maximizes the talents of your players, then you can cover up a lot of defects. Yeah, and you quickly. can you can play above your talent level on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, you can use tempo, you can use shifts, you can use all kinds of stuff to it's level really the playing field. Difficult to do that on defense. Yeah. Especially against a team like Iowa, where if you don't have a guy who can cover Noah Fant, 
you don't have a guy who can cover Noah Fant, and every team's just going to throw it to him, and you can't stop it. Because defense is reactive, so you really have a spectrum of philosophies where you either uh, you either sit back and keep everything in front of you, and you're going to give up a lot of yards, or you go right the hell after him, and you're going to bust up some plays in the backfield, but also give up some really easy touchdowns, and you got to find where on that spectrum gives you the best chance yeah. Of winning with the guys you can put out there to cover their guys. Yeah, and if, if you don't have guys who can consistently stop run blocking at the line of scrimmage, then the opponent doesn't... It, it doesn't matter how creatively you twist and stunt. If you can't move guys in the right places, you're not going to make any headway. So that felt like what we saw here. And to segue into the next game, and that also kind of felt like what we saw with Nebraska and Wisconsin. Yeah, that was basically the same game. Yeah, yeah, he, they were very similar games. You, I mean, I think it's a little bit more apparent from a system standpoint what Frost is going to be doing. I yeah. still don't exactly know what PJ's optimum Minnesota offense is going to look I'm like. I'm so sad we never got to use the V6 offense reference again after our preseason preview where we were talking about Vic Viramontes, uh, you know, Velvet Vic Viramontes, vehemently vociferous offense or something like that. Rest in peace, Velvet. Anyway, <laughs> no, we never did. And clearly there, I mean, given the dual threats that he tried to recruit and the fact that he's used Seth Green in this kind of wildcat expanded package, maybe there's gonna be, there's probably going to be some element of a running quarterback um, with Flex Minnesota, but we haven't seen that yet now. What we have seen from Scott Frost's Nebraska is that it's going to be all about a quarterback operating key. I mean, Adrian Martinez was splendid in this game for the most part. You saw with Frost's offense, there are going to be negative plays at times. There are going to be times when the defense guesses correctly or the quarterback doesn't make the correct read and you're going to lose six, seven, eight yards on first or second down. But then the potential of this offense to catch the defense wrong-footed is so tremendous that you're going to be able to make up that lost yard a fair amount of the time. And... Uh... To go back to that boat race term, usually the way that a boat race happens in football is that one team can't stop the run. So the team that can run the ball is going to be able to build a lead. And then even if the, even if, you know, in this case, Nebraska's offense was able to find some things, Wisconsin could just answer by running the ball back down the field because Nebraska can't stop the run. And it's really hard to give your offense enough chances to, you know, to cut into that margin when you can't stop the run. Yeah, and as we mentioned in the Iowa-Minnesota game, it not being able to stop the run is not something you can fake. You can you can only blitz your way out of so many run plays. You know, it, it just it's not a tenable defensive approach. So, no, Nebraska wasn't able to stop Wisconsin. If you're a Nebraska fan at this point, I mean, you're still winless in the season. You're, you're going to get a couple wins sooner or later because the thing is coming together a little bit better. There are just personnel defects that are not going to be corrected this season. Uh, you're which, looking ahead to 2020, if we're honest. Maybe. I mean, I guess we'll see. Yeah, yeah, you hope to see signs of improvement next year, but you're not looking for Nebraska to be an impact team, have a real, have a real you know, strong <laughs> influence on the conference championship until at least 2021 at the latest. Or at the earliest. I think 20 is, is fair to... It's fair to have expectations in year three. With your... The way college football is now, what you can bring in in terms of transfers and JUCOs, I mean, I, I expect there to be a continuing loosening of transfer rules as we go forward. Well, there so. is also with this transfer thing, there's a balance in how you rebuild a program because you've had guys that um, that have chosen to, you know, let's smooth the transition over, get some experienced guys in here via transfer, plug some holes with JUCO and make sure our depth chart is filled out. 
uh, and then kind of transition to the team that you eventually want to be, which means that you don't really show quite as much sustainable progress early. You may win a little bit more right at the beginning, but what you have won't be quite as sustainable, and at some point you're gonna have to get your roster out there. And then of course there's the other one, the path a little less traveled, where you just play all the underclassmen right away and just strip everything down to the studs, and we're gonna play all of the youth, and then once those guys are experienced, They'll just have so much service time, man. They'll have seen everything. Oh, seen so you shit, go man. this from the from the from the ground up. So where this is relevant is that that's kind of what we saw on display in the Illinois game because Lovey Smith has built his program. He's in the process of building his program by playing the underclassmen, you know, letting the upperclassmen do whatever they will, and but just focusing on the youth while Chris Ash brought in a whole bunch of transfers and got the most out of the upperclassmen he inherited to try and win as much as much as possible now. Which meant that in year three is where you're seeing a lot of the upperclassmen show up for Chris Ash, and they looked bad. And so that'll get us then into the conference game of the week, Ellen Nutgers. And so <laughs> agreed. I didn't see a minute of this because it was on the same time slot as MSU Northwestern and I was at that game. So what we did you We won see? a conference game, man, for the first time in the history of this podcast. I am going to recap Illinois beating a Big Ten team. This is this first one. Broke a 13-game losing streak to Big Ten foes, which just, God, as a fan, it's basically like uh, Phoenix Town. I'm revived. I can finally talk some shit at someone. And we're not the worst in the Big Ten anymore. Which, yeah, that's a cute little goal to have, but it is a legitimate goal because the Big Ten's who you compete against and they're, the, they're who has the most direct influence on your record. So, now that you can say that you're better than someone, where do you go from here? Well, Illinois can run the ball. They were able to run the ball really well. Um, A.J. Bush finally played in the game that was healthy against, you know, Power 5 competition and looked very good running. The passing game is a problem still because with Dudek out, we don't really have any guys that can get open. Um, Bush is a quarterback that can deliver a decent ball when he knows exactly where he's going with it, but if his first read isn't open, he does not go through a progression well, and he's got this weird slow release. That means that he's best served to just, if his first read isn't open, just take off and run. On the other side, I think this is the end for the Chris Ash era. You're, you're making a short list of coaching candidates if you're a Rutgers fan this week. Absolutely, aren't you? Because, because this was the opportunity to stop the bleeding. I mean, and this is this rivalry's been like funny. I am calling it a rivalry because the no, last the that. last three right. years. Okay, do whatever you want. The last three years. Hey, look, rivalry isn't necessarily a permanent thing. Okay, in the Big Ten, we're used to permanent rivalries, but Illinois Rutgers has been an important game for each of these programs the last two, three years, as each has fought to avoid being the worst team in the conference. <laughs> Seriously, though. Yeah. If you're a fan of one of these teams, this you had circled on your calendars. I know I did. And uh, despite doing some encouraging things, they just let this game get completely away from them. They turned it over three times. Ash is going to ride or die with Sitkowski, which... I don't know. I thought it was a mistake. Gio Rossino or Jonathan Lewis would have done a lot better against this Illinois defense. Probably. I we just get, we keep coming back to this theme where it was very important for Ash to get this decision correct with the quarterback and that he had put all of his ships on Art Sitkowski by making him the star at the beginning of the year. 
I don't think we contemplated then that it would go so badly that he would have to think about pulling the plug on it to do something else. I mean, it's too late to redshirt him. We're not concerned about that anymore. But was it three touchdowns to ten interceptions he's thrown now? Something like that. And look, if you don't win another game, if you're one and eleven in year, is this four or year three? This is year three. How do you? I mean, how does your athletic department retain you? I guess the only thing you're counting on if you're Chris Ash is maybe they don't have the money to buy you out because they don't have the full share of revenue yet. Um, and again, you know, the way that things were looking for, had been looking for Illinois, yeah, you know, far, far be it from me to start saying, oh man, their program's hopeless. But really, I'm trying to find encouraging things, and it's not like they're bringing in a lot of talent. No, they're not recruiting well enough to make up for what this is doing to their, to their brand. Losing to Kansas was really bad for, for the brand of Rutgers football. I mean, recruits don't spend all that much time analyzing all this stuff. But, you know, you look at anything related to college football on on Twitter or anything, you know Rutgers is now a meme. Like, they blew, they've blown two chances now against Kansas and Illinois to erase that stigma a little bit, or at least ease up on it. And now they've cemented themselves as the worst Power 5 team in the country. They did not at all build on last year. The defense has gotten substantially worse, especially against the run. That's got to be just so discouraging. They actually did a reasonably good job against the pass. They did a good job of covering the Illini receivers. But that doesn't really matter against a running team, which Illinois is. (laughs) So they covered the pass really well, but we only attempted 18 passes. Yeah, and it's also discouraging when you can't stop the run by anybody and your head coach is a defensive coordinator. He was a defensive guy all the way up through his assistant jobs. And And that's that's just the thing. I thought, I really thought last year's result meant that maybe this Chris Ash thing was in fact going to work because they won four games, but three of them were big 10 games and they did it with defense, which is what which is what Chris Ash's whole whole resume is about. And the hardest thing to understand is it's not like they had massive personnel losses no. on that side of the ball. I mean, they had you know they lost Kamoko Ture, but he was never a run stopper anyway. They had a couple injuries in the secondary now, but you'd expect the front seven to be the more relevant thing to your run defense, and it's just hard to understand. I mean, Wilkins and Bateki are a decent combination up front. They've got a number of linebackers who are experienced. It's hard to understand why they're so bad at stopping the run, but they are. And it's been the beginning of all their problems because they give up points immediately in large amounts. And then their relative strength on offense running the ball goes out the window for them because they're playing from behind. And so they're putting more pressure on a freshman quarterback who's already struggling. And it's just, it's like this train wreck. Like one thing goes wrong, but because it's such an important thing right at the front of the train, it leads to this massive pileup of cascading problems that all just keeps getting worse. There was a brief glimmer of hope there. Rutgers went down 24 to 17, and I'm thinking, okay, Illinois, if Illinois scores here again before the end of the half, then that is going to be the kill shot. But instead, we had to punt, and then Rutgers started making things simple for Sitkowski. They started calling these quick crossing routes. And he went 9-for-9 nine nine on a methodical touchdown drive there because Illinois just wasn't adjusting at all. But they came out and did some of that for the, in the second half, and it just, it just stopped being effective. Sitkowski couldn't make the throws anymore, and then he eventually just threw a back-breaking pick uh, into, into like the five-yard line. And Illinois was able to put this one away with the running game. We've now, run for, we've now rushed for more yards through five games than we did for the entire 2017 season. Yeah, which, I mean, 
if you're looking for signs of progress on the flip side, like I said, that's that's got to be Yeah, used. there's a thing <laughs> that we can lean on that we do. Uh, the backs, I think, are really talented. I like A.J. Bush as a runner. Uh, it's unfortunate what's happened to the passing game because I think that better teams will be able to load up against the run, blow up plays in the backfield, and then I'm not sure what we're going to do. But still, man, I finally have a thing to lean back on as a fan and say, look, we accomplished something. <coughs> and I said that 3-9 and nine was what I'm hoping for, what my expectations are. They've met expectations, and now there's seven games left. So we win any one of these last seven games. This season is wildly successful. Keep that in mind next week when Illinois has been flattened in this game against Purdue and thumping straight back to where he was at the beginning of the year. No, I'm not. I'm just going to keep telling myself, man. man. We'll see. I'm not moving those goalposts. I'm not moving those goalposts. Okay, we'll see. Of course, I'm not going to be thrilled when we get our doors blown off. But, like, man, goal complete for this year. I said three wins was the goal. That would show us improvement. We did it. We did it. Everything else is gravy. All right, man. Whatever it's a beautiful you say. feeling. <laughs> All right. So let's take a look around the rest of the country then and see what we can see for Dick Trips in Review. All right. Texas played Oklahoma. Uh, and I missed this whole game because I was watching Ellen Utgers, the battle for the Illibut. Yeah. I don't know if it's fair to call this a Dick Trick. That's a dick dick trip necessarily because this game it always, was a dick trick too because <laughs> yeah. Oklahoma got beat by Dicker the kicker yeah they sure did and it um this game always has such crazy results that it feels a little bit unfair both teams were ranked but Oklahoma I think had fairly unfairly has to be viewed as a playoff contender I don't know if that's still the case Texas because of the early season loss to Maryland decidedly less so but They've been on the come-up lately. They've gotten rolling a bit the last few weeks, so maybe it's not fair to call it that. But Well, they blew out USC. They've had some encouraging things happen. They beat TCU. So Texas could be Texas could have something to say about who wins the Big 12. Um, they, they really controlled this game. They led 45-24 to 24 in the fourth quarter, and then Kyler Murray used the Kaioken to double his power level <laughs> and just went off. But ultimately... Uh, Texas was able to get that decisive field goal from Dicker the kicker. Yep, and so you've got the result there where I think you could call that. I mean, number five, LSU losing to Florida on the road. But again, that's a ranked Florida team. We just ranked the entire SEC 1 through 14 at this point. Well, yeah, you know what's going to happen is LSU will fall to 7 and Florida will rise to 10. So, (laughs) um, yeah, Neil, we're going to see that elsewhere because the two potential dick trips that we called last week also occurred in the SEC. Kentucky lost... Um, as did Auburn. They're both in the top 15 before those losses. And they Kentucky will be lost to a quarterback that was famously described as ass my dude. Oak State dropped one to Iowa State again. And this, I believe, is Iowa State's third different starting quarterback of the year. Um, it's not the guy who started against Iowa for their injured original starter, Kyle Kemp, who got back in a couple games between these two. <clears throat> But then he went back out again. The other guy, Zeb, he didn't play either. So I, who even was their quarterback? I don't know. Who cares? But clearly not a vintage Oklahoma State team. West Virginia is now in the driver's seat for the Big 12. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll mention their game as one you may want to keep an eye on next week. But People were kind of quiet on them before this <laughs> season, despite the, uh, despite the prolific stats of Will Greer. 
I think people gave him attention on individual But not basis. the team as a whole, I think, was not really seriously considered as a Big 12 challenger. No, well, because, I mean, it, since Rich Rod left, I mean, there really hasn't, West Virginia hasn't been a nationally relevant program. Since oh, and there was the nice. time that they scored 70 on Clemson in that one bowl. That was, that was, uh, was that Bill Stewart? I, probably. I mean, Dana Holgerson was there, but yeah, this is a different kind of, you know, their offensive identity has kind of changed over the years, too. Anyway, uh, Stanford, without Bryce Love, got absolutely shellacked by Utah. Uh, so Stanford's had a bit of a rough go these last couple of weeks, getting pretty convincingly beat by Notre Dame. But now they lost to unranked Utah. They're not unlike Northwestern in that way, though, in that they often stumble repeatedly early in the season. And then, for whatever reason, they course correct so that... They're basically the giant boulders from the beginning of Indiana Jones rolling down the hill by the end of the season. You don't want to play them in November or in a bowl because they'll just run you over. But yeah, for whatever reason, it does take them time to get going and they drop these games at the beginning of the season such that the quality they display by the end of the year indicates they should be playing for bigger things. But because they've already lost multiple games, they never do. You know, Stanford should be 3-3 and right now because remember... Oregon basically had a win and then decided that they would be a really good sport about it and give Stanford another chance. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire!